And so just as a, a moment of background, Nehemiah is the most ordinary man in the world. He's the cupbearer to the king. And so he's standing there and he's asked for a report about what's going on in Jerusalem. There have been various attempts to rebuild this city, but time's gone by and it still hasn't been rebuilt. And Nehemiah hears that the city is still without walls, really. And without walls just means that it's open to attack. It's vulnerable. It's not what it was. So it's, it's an open place. And in that moment, he hears this report, which he probably knew was the case, but something in his spirit breaks in this moment. And he's like, he's undone. And he sits there or stands there or probably falls to his knees would have been his response. And he's like, it's not all right. It's not all right. And so for a couple of month period, the Lord starts breaking his heart. And what that looks like, if any of you have ever been through that before, some of you might well have been, when the Lord puts a vision on your heart is that he, you know, it's just this breaking moment. And so it talks about him weeping and fasting and dropping onto his knees. And he's like, I can't, and he's sitting there going, I can't get away from the fact that something needs to happen. And you can imagine that he had every excuse in the book of why it was not Nehemiah. It's like, I'm a cupbearer. I, I'm not an engineer. I've got no idea how to rebuild walls. I've got no idea. I don't live anywhere near there. And so the story of the first couple of chapters that we've been in is God calling Nehemiah to go back. And so he has this moment. He's a cupbearer where he stands in front of the king. And you can imagine that his heart is beating as he comes before the king who could take his head off in that moment. Could You know, I want to go back to my people. I want to rebuild the city walls. And the king says... Okay, Nehemiah, not only am I going to, I give you my blessing to go, but I'm going to give you all the resources to do it. And there's this moment in chapter 2, verse 4, where Nehemiah prays for the favor of the king. It's like, oh, Lord, you're just going to have to break in because there's no way that I can pull this off. So I love that the book is called Nehemiah. And in one hand, it's not about Nehemiah at all. Do you know what I mean? It's about how God works through ordinary people. And as we come back to this story, what is so inspiring is that this room is full of utterly ordinary people. <laughs> Isn't it? I don't, sorry, to, you know, if you're sitting there thinking, <laughs> I actually thought I was something a little bit special, James. Um, you're not. You're bog-standard ordinary. And join the rest of us. And we are. We're an ordinary bunch of people that the Lord has called to restore the city and to renew the nation. That's our vision, is that we're in the business of restoration. And this picture of rebuilding walls is in the same way of what we long to see as a city. We want to rebuild the city because it's God's place that we believe that God needs, that his kingdom will come in this place and that we cannot rest as a people until his kingdom keeps coming. Do you know what I mean? It's like an ongoing. Yes, one day we get to go and be in the heavenly city. One day we, the new Jerusalem, that that is a picture of what's going to happen one day. But for now, in between times where the victory has been won, we are bringing, we are part of seeing God's kingdom come in this city. And so that's our remit. That's our mandate. And that's why we love being the bride of Christ, because we get to do that together that this isn't something that we do by ourselves. And if we're cut off from the people of God, then we feel very isolated and very lonely. But actually, as a group of ordinary people, God can do extraordinary things through us because we're united around his mission. It's not James's heart for this church. I hope. I'd be really gutted if it was because it would be very boring. It's God's heart for his city 
and the outworking. And so what begins to happen is that dreams begin to rise up within each one of us of what the Lord's called us to. And they can be really ordinary dreams of, I long to be part of this neighborhood and see the kingdom come with my next door neighbor. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're small things, but God has something for every single one of us. And so we pick up the story in Nehemiah 3, which is on one hand the most random passage that you'll ever hear. And you will feel what I mean as I begin to read it. On the other hand, it's the most beautiful passage. And I tell you why, because every single one of these names that I'm about to read was a part of rebuilding the kingdom. Jeremy was a part of rebuilding the walls. And that's why, you know, we can read them and be like, oh, this is a bit random. And it is, but they were they got to be a part of this. That these are individuals who got to be a part of the biblical story that we read about them today because they were faithful in what God called them to. So it's beautiful. So chapter three, it's called Builders of the Wall. Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. And they dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of a Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hanel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Zimri, Imri, built next to them. <laughs> Sorry. If I stumble, I'm just going to go confidently in every name. <laughs> so if you could just work with me. And just accept that the way that I say it is actually the way that the Greek would have been written. <laughs> or Hebrew, sorry, yes. <laughs> sorry, I was sitting there going, actually, maybe it was the Hebrew, <laughs> yes. Uh, the only problem was I did read Greek and I didn't read Hebrew, so it's definitely not going to be right if it's Hebrew. God, thanks, Crooch. <laughs> the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanai. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimuth, son of Uriah, the son of Hak, repaired the next section. Next to him, Mezuzhalem, son of Berakir, the son of Mezebeblel, made repairs. <laughs> and next to him, Zadok, son of Banana, 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 also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Janashai gate was repaired by Jodah, son of Pashia, and Mezuzhalem, son of Besodidia. <laughs> They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Melatia of Gibeon and Jaden of Meronoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Ahariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. Love the fact there's a perfume maker in this. Just enjoy that. Yeah, it's good. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephaiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Harumpha, made repairs opposite his house. And Hattusha, son of. Okay, so <laughs> I just wanted to say homework is to finish the rest of the chapter. Do you know what? Sorry, I am making a bit of a joke, and and I don't mean to, because actually, well, I do, actually. But um, each one of these people was a part of rebuilding the city. And so, actually, there is a, there's a beautiful thing that these are just ordinary people called to do something extraordinary with the Lord. And so, you, this is a, a random passage on one hand, because it's just the story, but it's beautiful when you step back from it and you think about it, you're like, wow, you got to be a be a part of this God story. And I don't know that I've mentioned before they tried to rebuild this, these walls before, but they actually managed to do it in 52 days. 
which is absolutely amazing, something that they hadn't been able to do for a hundred years, that suddenly God came in power and they started working together. And what's that's what well that's what happens in this passage. And if you were to look at what is the language, it, it is next to him and next to them. If you follow the language through this whole chapter, about 15 to 20 times, it just has the phrase, and next to him, and next to them, and next to him. And so we have this picture of them working side by side towards building these walls. And so you've got both priests and laity working. You've got groups from different towns, groups from different classes, groups from different trades. You have rulers and workers, goldsmiths and merchants and perfumers. Basically, you've got everybody. They're all in. They've, and so at the, at the end of chapter 2, we see Nehemiah going round, and he's just scoping out the city. He's looking at all of these different gates, the dung gate and the, I uh, can't remember what they're called, but lots of different gates, sheep gate, thank you. Um, and so Nehemiah's gone around and looked at all of them. But then he's got this huge task on his hands, because not only has God implanted this vision, but these people don't know him. He's the cupbearer to the king. So he's had to come back to the city and galvanize the whole people. So it's just such a huge picture of what's going on. And uh, what we see is this inclusiveness going on. Most scholars have noticed that this inclusiveness is a part of a progression in the Bible. Because if you look back into Genesis and Exodus, some of these early, you see the man of God, the person of God doing. You know, So you might look at the story of Moses. And it, and it feels very much when you're looking at Moses is that the whole nation of Israel is on Moses' shoulders. It's like Moses has got to carry it, and then the people mucked up again, but Moses stood before the Lord and interceded on their behalf. What's beginning to happen here in the book of Nehemiah is we're seeing this progression from the one person of God through to the people of God. So suddenly it's talking about all of these different individuals, and this progression continues. It doesn't end here. As we move into the New Testament, it becomes even more holistic as you begin to look at what happens in the end of Acts and the Great Commission, this, this moment all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus is speaking. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and asking them to do everything that I've commanded them to do. And so, teach them to do everything that I've commanded them to do. So, what's happening is there's this inclusive call. It stops being the one person. And then, so what's so magnificent is I look at this room and it's like, we're all in. If we love Jesus, next to him, next to them, shoulder to shoulder. There isn't a single person above anybody else. There's no hierarchy in the kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? There's no hierarchy. Yes, I might be called to lead this church with Jen. That's not a hierarchy. That's just, that's what the Lord's asked us to do. We're not better. There's just us stepping into the thing that the Lord's called us to do. But therefore, it leads to the question, well, what is it that the Lord has called you to do? Because for each one of us, then, it's about finding our lane. It's about finding what the Lord's called us into. And the amazing thing is we might not sit there thinking that we're uniquely gifted and called, but we are because there's something that unique that God has put in each and every single one of us. He's made us all beautifully unique, and therefore that means that there are people that the Lord is calling you to go to, that there are people that only you can speak to. I can't speak to them, but they could relate to you, and they could you could be a part of their kingdom story, that there's people that the Lord's calling you to bless, that there's dreams and passions that the Lord has put in only you because he's asking you to be a part of this great story. And wouldn't it be amazing? I know we're not going to add chapters to the Bible anymore, but um, 
that would be bad. We've got the chapter of Vineyard Church Cardiff. Do you know what I mean? It's like that would be heretical. I'm just putting it out there. But if we were to think about that, that what happens is in the West, we're so prone to think in terms of the individual, aren't we? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, that's the danger. But actually, we're talking about the people of God, which means that we are talking about individuals because their names are in there. But if we were to write a chapter of what the Lord's doing in Cardiff, it would be our names. Hopefully, this would be the picture that we are working next to each other, next to them, next to him, that we're working alongside so that the names would be there and that we were all playing our part. Wouldn't that just be the most? That's the beautiful picture of what the Lord's calling us to as we rebuild this city, as we restore this city. Uh, everyone is involved. Everybody is doing the work. And it wouldn't even just be this room because it's very easy for us to think, oh, do you know what? It would be the, it would be the grown-ups. Do you know what? It would be that room as well. It would be those three or four rooms out there where our young people are, that they would be writing stories of what God's doing. So they are absolutely included in this in the same way that we're included in this because they get to be a part of seeing the kingdom of God come. And that is wonderful. Um, the truth is, you know, some of you are new to our community and you might be sitting here thinking, what's my part of the people of God? And your story might yet to be written, but I think my encouragement as um, leading this church is to say everybody gets to play is that we all get to be a part of rewriting this story. And so it's sometimes as we join a community, the first thing that we do is we just start somewhere. You know, it's like, oh, but what is it that the Lord's... It's like, it's, it's, it's like being part of a family. We just start by doing what needs to be done. And then as we begin to serve within that context, and it's like, oh, well, this needs doing, that needs doing. As we begun to see character and the things that God's put in you, then suddenly it's like, oh, do you know what? Dreams and visions come up of your, of your own, that there are things that you want to do, but yet we're all part of the same thing because we're part of the same family. And so that's how we start. Um, I think the second thing to notice here is beyond the kind of next to him, next to them, is, um, is the unity of the people. Because it wouldn't have happened without just an extraordinary unity. Um, D uh, David Mo Martin Lloyd-Jones, great name, in his exposition of Ephesians, he looks at the place where Paul says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the, all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you. And in his exposition on this passage, Lloyd-Jones notes that Paul gives two evidences that the Ephesians really know the Lord. And it's these, that they have faith in Christ and that they love all of the saints. It's that second one that I just wanted to, to, to go into for a moment. We're called to love all of the saints. And that means we're, we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, you know. And so when we start thinking about our, there is a lot of information about identity now, isn't that? You know, as, as we read across society and Identity is can and can be really complicated. Where identity f comes from, family of origin, the things that the different things that we bring in, and for some people, it's their nationality could be the first building block of identity. What they do, well, I'm a surgeon, I'm a teacher. For others, it's their family. Um, but for all of us, some things are closer to the foundation of our identity, and some things are just a part of it. And so I was just thinking about I 
you know, as you think about identity, it's kind of like a pyramid, and so it kind of builds layers of identity. But it's really interesting when you stop to think, what is the foundation of most people's identity? Because that is one of the key things that we're struggling with in our society. It's because it's been the utter kind of rinsing of every foundation that would have would have been part of the family that we were part of and the place that we'd you know all of these things that people are just utterly lost but one of the things coming back into what i'm trying to talk about and unity is that when we come to know jesus when we give our lives to jesus our foundation utterly changes it's this huge moment and it can't be underestimated because what comes in at that moment is that bottom building block becomes Jesus. Should do. Because everything else becomes secondary. And I think that's a lot of what the scriptures are talking about. All of our other identities, our nationality, what we do, what we care, our family, all become secondary to in Christ. There's There's a new foundation block that everything else builds off. And do you know what? That can take a bit of time as well as we go on that journey of, well, what does this now look like now that Christ is the bottom foundation point? And um, at the beginning of The Two Towers, um, C.S. Lewis has got this great quote for this. In the second Lord of the Rings movie that some of you might film, that some of you might remember, there's that moment where Gandalf and the Balrog, and the most, and there's that moment where Gandalf's like, you shall not pass, like this. And then they fall off um, this bridge that they're on, and they, and they go down and they, they into this chasm, and the name of that place in J.R.R. Tolkien's terminology is the uttermost foundations of stone. Isn't that great? The uttermost foundations of stone. And this is really the bedrock or the bottom. You can't go any further down. Everybody's heart, everybody's identity has an uttermost foundation. And what I'm saying is the thing that unifies us is this uttermost foundation is because now it is in Christ is the uttermost foundation. So what is it that molds together the people of God? We could be utterly different. We can be from different, every different part of strata of society, you know, particularly in our central site. There's just a massive diversity of everything, and it's just amazing because that's the picture of what the church was meant to be. We were meant to be unified around this one common cause, which is Jesus Christ, and that's what brings every everything together. Everything else is secondary. It's like our family is secondary. Where we're from is secondary because this uttermost foundation is Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture, and therefore, so this becomes the uniting factor, and so it's a challenge to love all of the saints, but it's also something that we're called to do. And so I often talk with people and they're like, I don't, you know, I really struggle with the church. And it could be, not, I'm not necessarily talking about our church. I'm like, yeah, do you know what? It's difficult because we're all broken, messed up people, aren't we? But actually, there isn't a choice. We're called to love the bride. We're called to love his bride, one another. And therefore, that's part of becoming mature in Christ is that we learn to be able to love deeply and well and so that's a picture of what we're working towards um just as i come in to finish um i want to talk about this idea of being gathered and scattered so um just to move on to the next stage so we've got a one foundation so what does how does this actually outwork in practice because the challenge is you can go one of two ways. What could, when we talk about the gathered environment, is what happens is people can run away from the world. 
<laughs> effectively it's like oh we all need to be we all need to be together the world's awful we've got to run away from it and what so happens it that everybody becomes about everything that's christian the other side of it is scattered and this is the picture of we've been in a series on kingdom carriers and really this idea that we are called into the world we are called to be the light of the world that we're not to we're to be out there in environments, in our neighborhoods, interacting with the world, because if we're not interacting with the world, then how's the kingdom going to come? And so you've got the, the gathered, you've got gathered environments, and you've got scattered. The truth, we need both. Because what happens is if you just go after scattered, you get isolated, and you suddenly realize that you're not next to him or next to them or next to her, that you are completely isolated, and therefore you feel alone, and because it's the one and others throughout the scriptures that we're called to do this together. And so on the other side, the gathered environments, it's, it's not all about this. This can't be the high point of wh- whatever it is. This is great because we meet together to be gathered to then go and be scattered. And so there's this challenge between these two poles. In different seasons of life, this looks different, and we have to work out what it is. And uh, so, so sometimes when we're a young family, it can look different to other times of our life. But for each one of us, we have to learn in, to live in the tension between gathered and scattered. The things that the Lord's calling us to do, but also being part of the people of God. And so we're called to honor and to love both of those things. And so one of my questions to you t- today would be where do you stand on that line and is that what the Lord's asking you to do? For some of you, you actually need, you, you, small group is the key place that you might need to be in because actually I need to be in deep relationship and deep community around the people of God. For others of you, it might be, do you know what, actually the Lord's asking you around your neighborhood and he's saying, do you know what, I've called you into this place. I've put you here for a reason to reach out to this place. It's not the same. And this is the beautiful thing is about our relationship with God calls us to, to those things. And so I, 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 love the, I love thinking through this thing of gathered and scattered because I love these gathered envir- environments. And just as, as I finish... Um, this morning, I just wanted to take, you know, one of the things that we put on the, the chairs was just around joining a team. One of our, when we talk about next to him, next to them, next to her, it's this picture of actually we're serving together. And so there are so many different places that we would love you to get involved. And so if you're sitting there going, well, I'm not involved, I'm saying to you today, please get involved. We don't want to watch 20% of people doing 80% of everything, that we think that 80% of people should be doing everything in order that people are coming towards us and exploring their faith can watch and see what's going on and when they're ready. Now, sometimes people come towards us in their first week. I remember going along to Trent Vineyard, which was the vineyard that I became a part of. Week one, I got straight signed up. I don't know how it happened. And for the next seven years, I was on the setup team. It was an amazing thing that happened. I was there and then suddenly I was in a team. That Tom Murphy, who was my old boss, you know, uh, at Trent, he had this amazing way. It's suddenly, and then three months later, you're like, how did I, I'm in charge of this thing. How did this happen? But, but what I loved about that is from day one, I was in. You know, I was, I, was, I was part of what was going on. It's not do your 17 years before you're allowed to be a part of it. It's like, hello, have you got a pulse? Would you like to be involved? 
And, and for me, it's more just of an assumption. It's like, well, why wouldn't we? If we're the people of God, why wouldn't we serve one another and serve this city? And so every Sunday we open up the doors. And I'm not just talking about Sundays. I'm talking about our restore ministries, the things that go on during the week, all of the different, the small groups, the people that lead small groups that open their homes to other people and say, come and meet Jesus in these places. So it's all of it. And uh, I just wanted to finish. There's one thing that we've had a real blessing on in our church over the last two years is that in the last two years, we've seen 50 of our children come to know Jesus. So I'm going to, you you're not excited enough. That's pretty poor. 50, 50 of our children have come to know Jesus. And as a parent speaking now, I don't get to be in those environments. I'd love to. Um, unfortunately, I have to preach. Uh, unfortunately for you, I have to preach. Um, but I, I am so grateful for all of the people um, who are serving this morning. I just wanted to say that. I'm, I'm so grateful to every single one of you that serves within this community and gives your time and, and effort and to do that because I know that my, my children are in there learning about Jesus, that two of them have given their lives to the Lord recently and so I sit there and I'm like I am so grateful for the people that invest in my children because we don't we can't do everything can we we can't be in all of the different places but we can cheer each other on and be like that is absolutely amazing and so one of our needs is we have now over 200 children as part of our community across both sites that's a lot of children that I mean that would be considered one of the biggest churches in Cardiff just our children so it feels like the Lord has blessed us. He has put a blessing. And sometimes it's about going, okay, where is the Lord moving? The Lord is moving in this area. The Lord is bringing people. And I said in the central site last week, I just said, and may he bring more. May it not stop there. May it not just be like, oh, we're really content with that. I'm not. I mean, how many kids are there in this city that know, don't know anything of the biblical story of Jesus and do not know Jesus and will live their whole life not knowing Jesus? That's not all right. I don't know about you, but I'm not sitting here going, oh, that's fine. We're doing, let's just, isn't it great what's going on here? It's like, yes, it is. 50 of our young people have come to know Jesus. What would it be for another 50 come know Jesus in the next three months? And the next wave? Because we are underlyingly desperate to see people come to know Jesus. And so that is an area of real growth within our set setting right now. And so I'm just saying there are, grab a card. You are formally invited to be involved in whatever way you can. But for us right now, kids is one area that we, that we would love you to serve because we, we want to do it well. Sorry, there's another value that we have. We don't want to just stick them in a back room in front of a film. We want that they come out of an hour and a half in this environment going, wow, I have learned something. I've learned to encounter the Lord. Wouldn't that be amazing? They're like, Jesus is speaking to me, and they're beginning to have dreams and pictures and words, and they're beginning to pray for their parents, and the parents are sitting there going, what happened to you? This is amazing. I need to sort my prayer life out. Yes, because they're inspiring us because God's doing something. My, my older ones go off to um, kids' small group and come back, you know, having met Jesus. So I guess I'm just saying we get involved wherever in the church, but we have a particular you know, area right now where we've got an area of growth and the Lord is on and we'd love you to be involved. Why don't we stand? We're going to pray.